one of the all-time favorite shows. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of Because You Are Home and in this episode we are discussing the excellent horror films of Nicolas Cage and John Cusack. What excellent films you say? Well I say there are some there. You just have to go looking. <laughs> They're all excellent. <laughs> yes. So park your judgments at the door and open those ears. Um, and so your minds. Yeah, it was your idea to do, um, we joked about this when we were talking about episode ideas back before we'd even started recording this show. And uh, we were like talking about Nicolas Cage films. And I think I mentioned Vampire's Kiss and we were like, we should totally do a Nicolas Cage episode. And then you had it on John Cusack. <laughs> and I remember just going, why? why? But you have your reasoning. And tell me, Grace, what's your reasoning? I kind of, my reasoning is just that I kind of love John Cusack. <laughs> And there's nothing wrong with that, but they're also kind of like the they're the oddball characters where they they're are, willing to go like out on a limb for films. They kind of remind me like there is there's a few actors. If somebody said, "Do you want to watch this movie? It's about this," and they tell you this terrible storyline, you'd be like, "Absolutely not!" And then they go, "Nicholas Cage's in it," and you'd be like, Sorry, "I'm there. Why? Why aren't we watching it yet?" And John Cusack would also be the same for me if somebody said, oh yeah, John Cusack is in it. I'd be like, I'm actually offended that we haven't watched it yet. How dare yeah. you? Um, and I just think he's so, like, his family is so Hollywood. So he looked at him a little bit more. Like, I know him and Joan Cusack. Mm. And I just love Joan Cusack. I think she's amazing. And I think they're just both brilliant. And then they have another sister, Anne Cusack, who is mm-hmm. like huge as well. But I didn't yeah. realize that she was a Cusack. So to me, she's a bit of a bonus Jonas in the whole thing here. And <laughs> yeah. um, and then their dad was like this award winning yeah. documentary maker. Everyone in his film is in showbiz apart from his mom, who's a math teacher. Like how yeah. cool is that? Yeah, I just think he's great. He's gas. Like there's some films that he's in that are just so naff that you're like, yes. And for some reason, right, um, I have this like, massive crush on him and he reminds me that yeah 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 (laughs) he reminds me like if somebody told me that there was going to be a weird like in the future biopic of good charlotte and he was going to play one of them i'd be like yeah that makes sense that makes sense (laughs) for a second there i was like is that happening i hope so like when john hear this episode it will you know yeah, like absolutely clearly yeah. um yeah so um hit us up for the rights on that one um oh. but yeah d- d- for some reason I just um put him and good Charlotte together and I like both of those things so yeah when we said Nicholas Cage I was like we need to get John Cusack in there and, yeah um yeah so there as, we have it as you said why but I think you've kind of gone I get it now. Yeah. You just said, why not? Why not? Why not? When, yeah. when somebody says why, you say, why not? Why not? Yeah. yeah. So actually, like, I, after we were talking about John Cusack <laughs> and I was like, okay, I wanted to look up both of them just to kind of see... Because I thought that they're similar. Well, yeah. and um, But also, they've been in two films together. Yeah. So they were in Con Air, which the only terrifying thing about that is Nicolas Cage's full-on accent. 
And I am sorry. I'd say I did a terrible version there, but it's no worse than his. Um, it's terrible, terrible hair. Hair, the hair. Um, but anyway, in that film, uh, Nicolas Cage plays the prisoner and uh, John Cusack is the cop. Mm-hmm. And then later on in, geez, what was it, 2013 or 2014, they did Frozen Ground where the roles were reversed and Nicolas Cage had played the sheriff and John Cusack had played the role of the murderer, real life murderer, Robert Hansen. Mm-hmm. And just when you were talking as well about John Cusack having the acting family, the showbiz family, yeah. so Nicolas Cage's uncle is Francis Ford Coppola. Nicolas Cage's full name is Nicolas Kim Coppola. <laughs> and yes, and he never wanted to start the acting life with the Coppola surname he thought people are just going to give me things I want to do this all myself and so he gave himself the stage name of Nicolas Cage and he did he started up his legacy all by himself and um he that like he took no handouts um and that is how we have the man we have today and and like to be fair right I, I I say this with love but you would kind of feel that the some of (laughs) some of the roles that he's done and the acting performances that he has performed would have he would really have only gotten that by getting a handout so that surprises me yeah like the man has an oscar and he's done oscar worthy roles in like leaving las vegas and in raising arizona in the 90s like like nicholas cage has the chops to be and even i loved him in moonstruck like i love him yep and and do you ever I see also, Peggy Sue gets married? No. Oh, Eber, like that movie is like one of the best films ever. It's about time travel. They, um, it, it, it's just brilliant. I can't remember the name of the actress that's in it. She plays Chandler's dad as well in Friends. Oh, I know. Um, yeah, yeah. And they, they're a couple. They break up and they go back to their high school reunion. But she passes out, she wakes up like in the 1950s back in high school, but (laughs) they don't get like younger actors to play themselves. They're just playing themselves. And like Nicolas Cage goes from like this adult accent to like this like real teenage. Hello, fellow youth. Oh, it's just brilliant. You need to watch it. It's actually such a good film. You need to watch it. I have it written down now. I'm going to watch it. Um. So you could say in the later years, John Cusick and Nicolas Cage have kind of taken on certain films, just almost kind of sadly going direct to DVD. Now, I know in particular for Nicolas Cage, he won't say no to a role because the man has some crazy spending habits and any movie he makes, he blew all his money on in the early 2000s. Like he bought a dinosaur skull. He bought an island in the Bahamas. The man spends like you'd never believe well um, he did tip that waitress with a lotto ticket so yeah you can tell that he doesn't have the best financial no and like I can't actually wait he's an upcoming film where I think it's called something like something about uh, the incredible weight of talent or something like that and it's where he goes to a party of some rich kid mm-hmm. and he has to for the whole night play all of his characters and <laughs> Then I think something happens at the party as well. But basically he's playing himself, playing all his characters. And I'm like, oh, ah, wow. I actually can't wait to see that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So um, 
I don't know about you, but my particular, I, I kind of cheated a bit with Nicolas Cage with uh, when I was talking about yeah. the films, the horror films that he did. But I'm only going to mention a few and I'll stick to one more in particular. But I felt I couldn't talk about his films without mentioning 1988's Vampire's Kiss. Um, having only recently seen that film about a few years ago uh, and only seeing it once, but it stuck out in my head. It was mm-hmm. one of his earliest films. And he puts on like this, he's a, a literary agent and he puts on this faux British accent to make himself seem more um, cool. elegant. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And he absolutely terrorizes this secretary um, throughout the film. Uh, but also it's like he goes to a nightclub, meets a woman and he feels like as if she bit him and he's now a vampire. And it's as he just mentally breaks down throughout the film. But like so many Nicolas Cage memes have been made, like his facial expressions from that film. And uh, he's actually none too pleased about that. And, you know, like they talk about cage rage and kind of started from that film and then went on Um as it just it's like if myself and my husband are like looking for something I mimic where he like jumps on the table to the secretary and he jumps on he goes there you are and it's like we find something and we're like there it is um I'm like I'm not going to jump on the table I'd probably like break my kneecaps uh trying it but it's just you're so accident prone so accident prone um but that to me was one of his best films ever it's like he hasn't even gotten a figure out as to where he is in the acting world he's doing it's a really cheap film like he's it's 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 just brilliant it's absolutely fantastic um but yeah that's one of my favorite Nicolas Cage films but um I absolutely adore one of his well his two like kind of latest dips into the horror um films and that Mm -hmm. would be Mandy and Color of Outer Space Color Out out of space uh that's a hard one actually to say I keep meaning I keep trying to say color from out of space and I'm like there's no from it's just color out of space and it's a HP Lovecraft film uh, or from one of his books but I also just love color out of space because the actual color it's this gorgeous like purple color that kind of infuses Ooh. throughout the film after an alien meteorite lands in his family and he starts out where he's like this calm timid father you know um everyone mocks his cooking and he just gives out to his children for not doing their chores and then the meteor it kind of like it damages the food or taints the food in the water and they all start to lose their mind and the mother gets really badly injured and he just starts going abs like he just he breaks down and he starts going nuts and um it's like as he's getting more and more unstable, he takes on the faux British accent that Peter Lowe had in Vampire's Kiss. And I was just like, that was a great way of just bringing it back. Um, That's brilliant. And like Nicolas Cage and the director of Colour Out of Space are both two huge H.P. Lovecraft um, fans. Yeah. So it's been said that that film is a very good adaptation of the book because... H.P. Lovecraft, he wrote his books in like the 20s and um, did all these short stories, kind of fantasy film, uh, fantasy stories. And they were, it was always kind of said it would be very hard to get his books into film ad- adaptations. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this now would be the best time to do it where CGI is at its best. It can be if the right amount of money is put into it. Um, and it, yeah, it is. I'd highly recommend that film for people to watch. But the one that I wanted to focus on the most was Mandy. And that was, I remember I watched the trailer of it and 
I just thought it was going to be brilliant. And I was so not disappointed when I watched it. Um, I haven't seen this. Okay. Oh, it is. It's, it's phenomenal. I won't go. No, I was just about to say, spoil it. It's totally fine. Like, that's what we do. (laughs) So the whole point of this is that Mandy is, is Nicolas Cage's wife in the film and they live, he is a, uh, lumberjack and they're just living this quiet quaint life out in like the mountains and they just like she works in a small shop and she just spends her days reading fantasy books uh whilst he's out at work and then they have their nice times out by the fire and cooking dinners um and then but she gets the eye of a cult leader um and I don't know. It's this is a very Irish uh, or British thing. And um, if people watch Carnation Street, the <laughs> leader of the cult is Ken Barlow's son. Oh, it's just it was brilliant. Uh, but for a second, I thought you were going to say he was just called Ken Barlow. I was like, that's hilarious. <laughs> like no, it's also no. hilarious that it's his son. But yeah, it, the the cult's uh, leader's name is Jeremiah San, and he in the film it's an ex uh, musician who becomes a cult leader. It's very. Um, um Charlie Manson, kind of say Manson yeah yeah so they're kind of taken from that but basically he drives by in a van and she's walking home and he sees her and she like dazzles him so he he has these like demonic bikers to do all his like his grunt work so he gets them to go and kidnap Mandy and they also kidnap um Nicholas Cage character his name is Red um which I just thought was a great name and mm-hmm. so they kidnap him as well and they drug Mandy and then he's like telling her his story of how he was trying to be a musician and then he failed and then he saw God um, and uh, then he like exposes himself to her and she even though she's drugged and she's kind of like tripping she just laughs she absolutely loses her mind and just laughs at him and he's like oh well screw you puts her in a sleeping bag and they've tied Nicolas Cage down or they tied Red down to the um to a tree stump and like put barbed wire around his mouth so he can't really struggle and they set her on fire in the sleeping bag um it was awful yeah awful and he like and then one of the cult members stabs uh red leaves him for dead and uh he painstakingly cuts through the barbed like gets himself out and then like is devastated to see she's just left to ashes uh, Mandy's dead um, and then he goes back to his house drinks like a bottle of vodka and has an absolute breakdown which was pure Nicolas Cage um, just losing his mind screaming drinking vodka and he's just in a t-shirt and a pair of boxers and he's just in the bathroom crying screaming covered in blood um and it turns out that Nicolas Cage's like 14 year marriage had broke down just before they started filming this oh yeah so he put through a lot of his emotions of how to deal with this into the film so I think in that scene you can just kind of see in real life how everything was with him getting yeah yeah so then the film takes a turn. He goes to visit a friend. He informs him what the bikers are like. The, the friend is like, you'd stay the hell away from them. They took really bad LSD and it deformed them. And they're just, their brains are turned to mush and don't go anywhere near them. And he's like, no, they're pure evil. And he wants his revenge. So then there's this cool scene where like Red forges this uh, massive double head axe. And, um, and then he goes off for the biker gang. And then 
so what ensues then is a, a load of like cool fight scenes like there's one where they have this massive and I'm talking like it's a four foot five foot long chainsaw and they have a chainsaw war with one, like with one of the bikers and then it's like he's goes into the house where all the bikers are and he just kills them all but then he also snorts a line of cocaine and then tastes some of the lsd just to see what was so bad about it and like immediately starts to trip um and then it kind of goes on for a bit but he ends up then at the church where the rest of the cult is and the cult leader is and like that he kills his way through with some people lets one of them go when he feels like as if ah she's she's kind of just been made to be here she's not Mm. really a part of it and then he gets let me guess she's totes a part of it oh no 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 no. she was like um her brother was the guy who who stabbed red and she's just kind of like i'm here because my brother's here i don't really believe this like she manages just to and, and then she goes and she's gone um but so Jeremiah San, the cult leader, he's like, you can't hurt me. God is going to protect me. And then like when Red just starts, you know, attacking him, he's like, he's begging for mercy. He even says, he's like, I'll suck your dick if you uh, let me live. And so Red just grabs his head and crushes it mm-hmm. and then sets the church on fire. And then the film ends with uh, Red driving off um, and he has a view, you get to see his view of the landscape as this bizarre inferno. Um, and it's like trying to show that as he'd taken the drugs earlier on and the special botched LSD that was like made for those bikers, that this is now his view of the world, that after the death of his wife and the night of brutal vengeance, his world kind of will never be the same again. Um, and yeah. I just thought that film, I'd watch it again. It's very hard to watch at the start because it's such an idyllic life. And just because some guy takes a fancy to the wife, their whole lives are turned upside down. Yeah. And it's great then just to see the absolute brutal vengeance he takes on. And it's like this film wouldn't have worked with any other actor in it. Like That's one thing I'd say about both these actors. I don't think I could see anybody else doing these movies. Like if somebody else was in some of the roles that Nicolas Cage was in, you'd be like, what the fuck is this movie? But because it's him, you're like, yes, brilliant. Yeah, and it's like Nicolas Cage says that his like style of acting, he calls it Western Kabuki. Okay. Where it's like he uh, channels like this, like spares for animals and paintings and cartoons and oh, oh what like he just channels it all through and like especially when he was doing um vampire's kiss he kind of took on like a max shrek the actor who was in nosferatu like his persona in vampire's kiss and i'm just like you do you nick you know you do you, boo. you do yeah you. oh i i i could go on about nicholas cage and just his the great films he does but um I'll stop. I'll stop there for the sake of I don't want to talk forever. That's okay. That's what we're here for. That's what we're here <laughs> for. And especially this episode. Of yeah. All episodes. Um, I am. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm going to look at a Nicolas Cage movie that I have kind of already talked about a bit. Um, we mentioned it before when we were talking about, um, I can't remember what episode it was, but I know that I have referenced this before but Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk a little bit more about it so 2006 is The Wicker Man 
Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I forgot to mention that. Oh, no. But yeah, glad I didn't. <laughs> That's all right. That's OK. I got you. I got you covered. Um, so this is um, basically he plays this um, cop, Edward, right? Um, he pulls over a car at the side of the road and it's a mom and it's a young girl. And um, the young girl throws out her uh, teddy out of the car. He goes to get in the cu- The truck is like crushed and um, it goes up in flames. And um, he's he takes some time off because, you know, it's kind of a horrible thing to see and it's a horrible thing to happen and everything. And there's a cop who comes and she's like chatting to him. And she's like, how are you getting on? Are you okay? And all this stuff. And I watched a video called Everything Wrong with uh, the Wicker Man. So this guy, he has a channel and he does like everything wrong with. And it's a couple mm-hmm. of different movies. And he'll give the, like, they'll get like a couple of points for like all the bad things that happen. And he, she walks in and she's like, here you get an accommodation. And he's like, for what? Like for not saving a family who got hit by a truck that's the latest award that they give to cops now (laughs) he was like we don't get it and then it transpires that actually they couldn't find any remains of any of the people so he's like so not saving an imaginary family he's getting a commendation from the police so straight away we're off with a fantastic start um kind of can't get much better than that um, he goes back into the office and he's talking to his friend and he tells uh, he tells them that he got a letter from his ex fiance who lives on this island um, and her daughter has gone missing um, and she wants help she wants him to come out and give a hand um, so he does he decides that he's going to take this time off and to stop himself stressing about a very stressful job um he's going to go and do essentially what he does in a stressful job but while taking time off from said stressful job yeah that makes perfect sense total sense as much sense as this movie makes um so the 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 ex-fiance has actually put a picture in of the daughter and it turns out that it's the same child that was in the car which is all just a bit mad. So mm-hmm. he gets the ferry over to um to an island, and then you actually need to get another little like airplane over as well. There's no way of getting there. It's really remote. Um, so he bribes somebody, and again, I'm just going to be referencing this video because it's so true. So he bribes this um like fruit guy. And the fruit guy is like, look, I don't want to um, bring you over because I'm going to lose this job. And, you know, they really don't like outsiders on the island. And he's like, well, would this change your mind? And it's like $150. And they're like, why would he like give up his livelihood for 150 quid? So he does. <laughs> he brings them over um, and he gets over there and he meets a couple of um women straight away and there's two men beside the women but they're very quiet they don't really talk and you you fairly figure out straight away that this island is really kind of run by women yeah um and it's a very um it's a very self-martyrical self-sufficient kind of self-sufficient and definitely matriarchal like it is a um self-sufficient isle 
they don't take to you know blow-ins or outsiders um you don't need any of that in this place um and they very much depend on themselves and themselves only um and he goes he he meets his um he sees his ex-fiance but it's all very hush hush and she she gives him a note to ask him to meet him later on um but almost kind of straight away he's really really like aggravated with everybody and he's really like people need to be telling me what's going on and they're all like calm down we shall tell you nothing um which just makes him more annoyed so Nicolas Cage has actually said that this film so it got kind of a cult following because Mm. it was like unintentionally funny oh yeah Um, that it was yeah now Nicolas Cage has come out and been like it was always supposed to be intentionally funny like it's kind of like ironically funny so like actually just like jokes on you for guys. the room yeah <laughs> like, you know it's, it's it's so complex that you actually didn't realize that we were being funny so actually you're the stupid one here so um much like him not liking that people kind of go with the cage rage thing yeah um he doesn't love that people think that this was supposed to be very serious because he's like no of course it wasn't like how dare you um so he meets the he meets his ex-fiance and you know she kind of left out of the blue many years ago and this is the first time she's spoken to him since and um, she tells him that she was always from this island. It was almost like she was on kind of like a gap year from her, her <laughs> life. And she met him and she fell in love. And then she realized that actually, no, she, her calling was back on the island. But she's still kind of an outcast. She's an outsider. She doesn't really conform to, um, to the way of life there. Um, and there's a huge kind of emphasis on honeys on honey and bees the whole way through it so even this kind of big thing like the matriarchal kind of queen bee is like this running theme through the whole thing and um you have it's like not really answered like she's saying that her daughter has gone missing everybody she's saying that everybody else is kind of telling her that this daughter never really existed nobody will believe her nobody will help her find her daughter so he he has said he will help them find her daughter um which just kind of ensues in him like punching a couple of women kicking a couple that of women weird. yeah <laughs> like, the best part is at the end when he's in a bear suit for it he just put, and she's like hello sister can i help you and it's like boom bitch yeah push the face but he goes to um he also goes to the school and he he's like asking you know where is this child rowan and where like does anybody know her and like nobody's answering at all and there's Mm -hmm. one desk and he's like whose desk is this and um they're all like i don't know it just happens to be a spare desk like and opens the desk and then there's like this raven in the desk and um he's like how long has that bird been in there and the child is just like oh we put it in there to see how long it would survive like and (laughs) in the in the video they reference this as well and they're like why was the bird not going mad like why was the bird just really quiet sitting in a desk not 
like being a normal bird and like freaking out in this tiny desk. And he goes to the teacher and he's asking where she is. And she keeps doing this really weird thing of like, if she existed, we would know. Yeah. And all this stuff. It's not like gaslighting. Yeah. It's really weird. And there's actually a bit of, there's an Irish phrase above the blackboard, which I didn't cop until I looked up kind of trivia on IMDb. So um, I'm going to attempt it which sounds really bad for like our native language. But <laughs> um, so it's Neil in Kjallig Egg on Re, which translates literally to the king does not have a single sting. So again, back to your whole bees and stuff like yeah. that. And also, so Edward is deathly allergic to bee stings and he carries an EpiPen. Mm-hmm. And um, he also had these self-help um, tapes that he was listening to and they were stolen when he came somebody unpacked his bags and they took that and again in this video they're kind of like why did they take the tapes and not the gun that he had like at what stage did they not go possibly we should take the gun from him I don't get this mm-hmm. um so it goes on and um there's a bit where he finds a doll and the doll is burned and like one of the most like <laughs> iconic kind of quotable things from it he's talking to the ex-fiance and he's like is this her doll and she's like yes I don't know maybe it is I don't know and she kind of talks and riddles the whole time she doesn't know what like anything and he's like how to get burned and she's like I don't know and he's like how to get burned how to get burned how to get <laughs> yeah, burned in a different tone that'll get an answer it's just hilarious it's absolutely brilliant um and later on Look, he finds the child and um, it, he thinks that the child is his. Um, the mother has said that, yeah, this is your child. And um, so it turns out that he was actually always meant to come to the island. Um, mm-hmm. uh, this was all a ruse. The child wasn't um, missing. So they planned this from the very beginning. So their their honey crop, I don't know if that's actually what you say about honey, but their honey, whatever, was cursed or something. Mm-hmm. So they didn't, all their crops were, were cursed the year before. So they didn't have any, um, I suppose, source of income or like anything in the, yeah, that they could grow. But anyway, um, so this was going to be a sacrifice for, to the gods to get back mm. there it's their very heart. celtic gods kind of thing yes yeah you're kind of talking like midsummer mm. kind of thing but like just naff um and he's put into <laughs> he's kind of laying down and um he's put into this as he's been put onto the floor he's talking he's like this is murder murder (laughs) and I watched this in college with my friends and um we always like we'd always kind of be chatting and then one of us be like murder and I think we got it we like we definitely got it from the sex and city movie but I think we also got it from this so we're referencing both of them at the when we're just screaming murder at each other which is quite (laughs) funny yeah um (laughs) 
But then they put this metal head on him and they like pour in beads and like he's screaming and he's like, the bees, they're in my eyes, they're in my mouth. And um, yeah, then he's put into this big, huge wicker man and he's burnt. He's burnt to death and he's burnt alive. And another thing that was said in that video, Guy flew the plane and he got killed for bringing the guy over, right? Ah. For bringing Edward over. But one thing that they said was why they, why would they have killed him for actually doing the one thing that they wanted him to do? Yeah. But they don't value men a lot, I found. No, they they definitely don't. No. Um, And then much of the dialogue about over 80% is word for word from the original. But it doesn't seem to have that real suspenseful tension thing when like near the end when everyone is like turning against him. Mm, Yeah. It it does have a different feeling to it. Yeah, with the actor Edward Woodward playing the cop the real religious cop. Like I, I didn't get the religious connotations with Nicolas Cage when he was playing the cop. Yeah. Yeah. So it is, it is a bit, um, yeah, it is a bit different there, but it's amazing that there is um, such a crossover with, um, yeah. yeah, with the, with the actual, like the script, which is crazy. Um, and Winona Ryder was actually offered the role of Willow in the film, but no she way. hated the script. So she said no. Oh. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, um, so Edward Woodward, star of the original, The Wicker Man, has said that while he was offered a part in the remake and he declined it, he nevertheless was surprisingly impressed by the quality of the script. Nonetheless, the name of the young girl was changed from Rowan Morrison to the original to Rowan Woodward for this film. Oh, I see, like paying homage. Yeah, there you go. So that was my that was my little Nick Cage. Um, I just think. <laughs> that film with the how to get burned and the bees and at one stage he asks the um teacher what her name is and he's like is, what what's your name miss something she's like sister rose and he's like of course another plant and he's just so <laughs> mad he's so angry with yeah. everything and, oh yeah. yeah he hits that island running with rage <sighs> stop it's just and when he kicks your one across yeah across the room and just punches the other the like the bar lady out um it's just so ridiculous it's fantastic yeah and I would imagine that he wanted to play that film straight up but because he's Nicolas Cage and I think he's gone almost in especially in horror films he's gone beyond the point of I don't think he can do a horror movie seriously apart from like no he did a film called eight millimeters, which is like he is a detective or a private investigator looking into the possibility of a real snuff film being made. And that one is a serious film and he doesn't really do much OTT in that. Yeah. Um, but I think if he thinks he can maybe get away with a bit of it and the director might even push him for it. But I'd say he tried to get this Wicker Man to be like, like the original 
And then when he realized no one was taking it seriously, he just had to lean in or else you, yeah. Or else laugh with it instead of feeling as if you're being laughed at, I suppose. And it's fantastic. It really is. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a classic. I, I, I do prefer the original for like the oh my god this village is absolutely insane and I can't believe like when I first watched it I still knew what happened but I kept thinking they're not going to do it they're not going to do it and then when you see it yeah you're wow in a way could it technically be a parody completely bringing it back bringing it back yeah well you could just say yeah. yeah It, it, if he is now saying that it was actually intentionally funny then yeah I'd put that in yeah. if it's a funnier version of it then that is pretty much what a parody is there we go there we go people bring it back two episodes when I yeah. terribly describe parodies you can just insert this there yeah add that on to another um, film that we'd be discussing in it fantastic yeah so who what what did you look into for Johnny Boy? Yeah, so a JC, another JC. And you know um, JCs. Yeah. He did quite a few horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um and now I would have to say that just out of all of the ones he said, my favorite was Identity. Identity. And yeah. it was one of those films that I wished I could erase my mind to watch again and again. Yes. Once you know that um twist that yeah. there's no going back I remember watching it in my kitchen mm-hmm. I think myself and Shauna Shauna was staying over and we'd watched it like uh, just on DVD and I just remember like it was so good it's one of those films where you remember where you were when you watched it yeah and it was just such a good film but I decided to look into one of his more modern films like like I mean there's so many films you could go to like John Cusack has a film acting career going for 40 years now or over Huge. 40 years yeah um and other horrors is like well he did the Edgar Allan Poe film The Raven but <laughs> no I I haven't watched. I remember when we were doing that episode <laughs> And yeah. I was like, there's many movies. And you were like, please don't reference yeah. to John <laughs> Cusick one. And I was like, no, I didn't. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and as I said, like, just no, no, just no. And as I said before, like he was in Frozen Ground with Nicolas Cage. Yes. And then you've got also The Cell. And then, but what I wanted to focus in on was uh, 1408, which mm-hmm. I saw in the cinema. And uh, then I just kind of rewatched some a few videos on it just to remind myself about the, the kind of the refresher. Of it. Yeah, because I remember like there's a whole scene where you think it's the end of the film, but it's not. It brings you back. So it's the kind of the idea about the film is 1408 is the room in a hotel called the Dolphin Hotel in New York. And it's meant to be like the most haunted one, a haunted room ever. And John Cusack, he's basically like a debunker. He's an author who goes to these places and he writes kind of like a ghost tour, um, yeah, tour book, a tour guide book really. Mm. And uh, so he's kind of like, he was this like good literary author. And then it's kind of like, this is what he does now. Um, and uh he is going to be doing like in the start of the film he's doing a book signing but like the guy who worked in the bookshop didn't know he was this was happening and no it's kind of like almost the people in the story the curiosity go to get the book signed so it's just kind of like going to show that his career is at a low ebb and in there's a Q&A session and some people are like oh you know where would you go if you could really get haunted and he's like oh yeah Orlando to the the ghost ride there in the you know 
wow, words are escaping me. Um, Don't worry, you got to kiss the grace. <laughs> What's the, um, it's like Disney, but it's not, it's in Orlando. Universal. Yeah, Universal Studios. He's like, I'll go to the ghost tour there. And he's like, if I really want to be haunted. So you can, it just goes to show he's a complete skeptic. He doesn't believe in ghosts. Um, but he then gets like this letter or um, an advertisement sent to him about going to room 1408. And he's like, oh, I think I'll actually go do this. You know, it's, it's meant to be really haunted. I'm going to go do it. And that's, I'm going to end up my um, the tour for this ghost guidebook so I'm going to finish it up in New York so he says to his agent I'm going to go to New York and you can see even at the start they're like oh are you sure you should go back there so something obviously really bad happened but they're not mentioning it just yet so he goes anyway goes into the hotel or he tries to book it over the phone they're like no uh the room is fully booked up we're not gonna you know and he goes I didn't even give you a date and they're like oh it's forever booked up no one can stay there and uh, so he decides like well f that I'm gonna go to the hotel anyway and try and argue my case Mm -hmm and um so the staff they're like oh he gives his name and they're like oh yeah we have you written down that you're to stay in any other room but 1408 he's like I want to speak to the manager and the manager's played by Samuel L Jackson Mm -hmm. and the manager's name is um Gerald I think yes let's just go with Gerald and um fabulous yeah I'm fairly certain I'm right so um yeah it is Gerald so when Gerald speaks to him he brings him into a room he offers him some bourbon he's like he's being really nice he's like I can offer you any other room even on that floor that you want just not that one and he goes no I won't settle for anything else and Sam um Gerald is like oh look people have always gone into that room and then they either harm themselves terribly or they kill themselves. Like a week after the hotel opened up and a guy was staying there, he jumped out the window and killed himself. Mm. And so this kind of just scares and intrigues um, uh, John Cusack's character, Mike. And he's like, ooh, yeah, no, this this just makes me really, you know, he goes, I'm going to stay in this or I'm not going to go at all. And he's like, you you could use me for business. And Gerald's like, uh, with the hotel's full, 90% capacity all the time, we don't need your money. He goes, I'm doing yeah. this for you. He says, we go in to clean that room as a team. No one can go in there alone because you just can't trust the room. And um, so eventually after an argument, Mike is allowed to stay in the room, but no one will even go in. They just hand him the key and it's an actual key instead of a key card because apparently the electronics on the door don't work so well. So you have to use this brass key, the original key for the hotel to get in. I'm going to do that really annoying thing that people do when you're watching a movie and they go like, why didn't they just do this? And you're like, it's a movie. You can't change it. But like, why didn't they just say fuck off? I know if they the don't need the business go away and if they feel like as if they're doing this for him they're like you can write a bad blurb about this in the paper if you want to like in all honesty what they should have done is don't clean the room don't go there like lock it up and or even you know like plaster over the door and just say there's no 1408 yeah it's like, like there's never a table 13 there's never a room with 13 in it and there's never a 13th floor that's in is that in japan or china they're very that's superstitious in the hotel i worked in there's no 13 no r- seriously no. yeah hey i'm born on the 13th there's nothing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> wait it's like i could be like well hang on but there's nothing really wrong with being born on that day no no but yeah no we never had a we always went from 11 12 14 oh, 15 Jesus. Wow. Never table 13 and yeah we'd know like we had 144 rooms, but there was no 13 or 113. 113. Oh, yeah. ah, ah, random. Yeah. And it would uh, depend. Sometimes another manager would come in and be like, it's table 13. You'd be like, 
don't say it. The devil. <laughs> That's so strange that even yeah. here in like Jada that they're doing mm. that. Oh God. Yeah. So obviously hotels are very superstitious. Yeah. Like I don't actually like to think about it too much because like guaranteed every hotel you've stayed in something horrific has happened at least once yeah they do say like as well like it would have to like just the laws of suicides are it's very popular to go and do that in a hotel yeah so that one no family member comes across you two yeah. they don't have to do the cleanup um yeah. but yeah hotels are apparently a popular place for that to happen in yeah yeah so Back to this hotel room in particular. <laughs> um, so Mike gets into the room and he's like, oh, it looks standard and like banal. Not, not like a spooky hotel room like he was expecting. It looks just like the rest of the hotel, which is very modern. Um, but then after like a, a while after he gets settled in, random stuff starts to happen. Um, like chocolates appear up on the pillow and he hears noises. And at first he thinks it's a joke and that the staff are actually in the room with them. Um, like he sees flashes as well and the heating then goes out completely so he thinks that the staff are trying to drive him out so he rings the operator and he's like this the heating's gone I need an, uh, someone to come up to fix it so they send him up and he's like oh they're actually helping me out so he's a bit confused but anyway a mechanic comes up but stays at the door won't come in and he's like I can tell you how to fix the heating but I'm not entering the room I'm just not going there at all yeah so he manages to fix it but then things then start to escalate in the room and this alarm clock uh, or like clock radio on his uh, by the bed it just starts up now with a countdown to 60 minutes um and then he kind of gets a little bit freaked out after a few other things happen and he's like right f this i'm actually going to leave the room uh i don't want to stay here anymore but the key the physical key breaks in the door and then so he uses a knife but manages to unlock it but then the doorknob actually breaks so he's like permanently stuck in the room and then he starts to see ghosts of people committing suicide. Um, and then after a while, he thinks maybe he's just hallucinating and that uh, either the, the chocolates he ate or the bourbon he drank was drugged. Um, so he thinks he keeps trying to because he's a skeptic. So he keeps trying to go back to like logical answers for this. Um, and then he tries to escape through the window to get to like another floor. Um, and then he just ends up getting back into the room like it's no matter what way he goes he comes back into the room and um but before he actually tries to leave the room he has this uh, voice recorder with him and he says that if he does fall that this was an accident and it's not suicide it's not the room that's killing him mm-hmm. uh, but again like I said when he uh, fails in his escape attempt and he comes back into the room he sees that the layout has changed and the room itself is actually moving so there's a kind of a paranormal element to the room that he's slowly starting to cop onto. Um, and then he sees a vision of his daughter who was gravely ill in the hospital. And they were starting to get a feel for what happened in New York, that he used to live there with his wife and their daughter got really sick and ended up dying. Mm-hmm. And that's why he couldn't go back to New York. Um, and he like leaves. His wife still lives in New York, but he leaves. So he's not actually divorced. I thought that they were, but I don't think he is. Um, So he then tries to think if he can't leave the room, he's going to try and call someone. And uh, he gets no cell service. Um, But he manages to contact his wife via his laptop. And she's like totally surprised that he's actually in New York. And he asks her to call the police. And she's very like, "Uh, why? What's wrong? Um, And he tells her everything that's happened. And after he like tries to logically explain it, she says, "Okay, right, I'm going to try and call the police. And he's trying to say what hotel he's in. And then this hotel sprinklers kick in and they kind of break the laptop. And he's furious because he doesn't know if his wife 
knew where to call the cops to go to. And then he looks over and the clock is still ticking down. And then the film takes a turn with um, Mike then beginning to realize that he thinks that the hotel room is in a different dimension. Um, and then his wife actually manages to get back in touch with him on the laptop, but then he sees a version of himself speaking to the wife telling her to come over to the hotel himself and it's like the hotel is trying to bring another victim into the room oh yeah and so because it's like the version of him winks at mike from the laptop and i'm like oh it's quite cheesy um yeah and then he's like freaking out because the wife is going to come over to him and then he's also it's starting to progress with scenes of his daughter where um where she passes away and he has a fight with the wife afterwards. And he's like, you told her how everything is going to be okay and how her pain will go away. And you didn't tell her to fight more. So you kind of see like how he had a huge fight with his wife and then he left. Um, and so the room then fills with water. And then Mike ends up back on the beach, which was an earlier scene in the film where he gets kind of, he goes surfing, he gets uh, caught in by wave and washed up on a beach. So he begins to think that, everything that happened in the hotel was uh, from when he got knocked out and he's just like been working through his grief in some random way. And so his wife is like, oh my God, he should write a story about this. Um, and he does, he writes out all about this and he is about to go, like it, it, it goes on for so long in this scene that he's written up the whole book and he's about to send it off to his publisher and he goes to a post office, but then the post office itself starts to decay and crumble down and he's back in the hotel room and then he also has like a vision of his daughter going don't why didn't you love me enough for me to still live and then his daughter dies in his arms and then he gets a call from the hotel room and it's the operator and he's like why don't you kill me and she's like oh no that's the beauty about this hotel room is that you have free choice you can because the clock runs down to zero and starts again at 16 it's like you can relive this hour over and over again or you can avail of our express checkout and you just see a noose appear up in the room. Oh God. And then he, yeah. And so then he just goes, and also then it, the operator mentions about how the wife is going to come to the, like she'll be here any minute and we're going to invite her and she'll have to live this hour with you until both of you guys kill yourself. So Mike, he hangs up the phone and he decides I'm going to kill myself, but I'm going to take this room down with me. So he sets it on fire mm-hmm. with whatever alcohol is left around in the room. And just as he's about to be engulfed in flames, he's hiding underneath the desk. He gets rescued by a fireman. And then later when he's in the hospital, he tries to explain what happened to his wife, but she thinks he's gone delusional. But later, uh, Mike and his wife are going through his things at home and he plays the voice recorder that he was using on and off in the hotel and they hear the voice of their dead daughter. So then the wife's like, oh God, you're not crazy. Um, And that's kind of like the end of the film. But they had filmed a different ending to it uh, where Mike had died in the fire and at the funeral Gerald the hotel manager uh, tells his publishing agent that he didn't die in vain that the room can't be used by anyone again but it then goes back to Mike is still in the room but now he's with his daughter forever oh like he's in in after he died he lives out the rest of his afterlife with his daughter in that hotel room um and it was just too bleak and so they they stuck with the he gets to live one but like again in that scene where Gerald the manager would be saying oh the room can't harm anyone anymore why didn't as you said earlier on like why didn't they just close off the room why why did they have to allow people to come in 
Um, they could have just gotten a bit of arson damage themselves to the room and say, oh no, it can't be used by anybody. Like they, they're allowing it to, even though they're telling people not to come in, they then still allow people, they encourage them not to, but obviously they might, they can't forbid them 100% and they have to let people stay. But I'd just be like, no, I don't know, there's mold in the room, you can't stay or something like that. And as somebody who has worked on, in actually pretty much every area of a hotel, um, mm-hmm. at like almost every level as well, uh, <laughs> the amount of times that I'd come in to work on reception and like booking.com or something hadn't been closed out. So like, oh, right. you know, it, one of the girls would have left a note going, you need to build two more balcony rooms. And you'd be like, fuck's sake. And like a room might be closed off, but then it's like your ho- hotel is oversold. So you have to use it. Mm. So maybe, yeah. Maybe yeah. that's when when they did use it, but it's just poor management. <laughs> this coming from a pretty poor manager. <laughs> no, you were great. It's great. It was so good. <laughs> oh, ooh, that was the ghost of the hotel past. I'm going to say it's still agreeing with you that you would have been a great manager. <laughs> it's not a cautionary tale saying greats never come back. Yeah, yeah. So my John Cusack one actually kind of has trivia going back to 1408. So it's actually a great little link there. So you mentioned it, and again, um, I was texting you about kind of (laughs) these movies, and um, like I 100% agree with you. My favorite one is Identity. And um, I must have watched it with Grace. I always think of Grace when I when I think of identity. And for some reason, we always call it I don't it on. So, yeah, I think that film is brilliant. And exactly what you said, like, I wish I could wipe myself of the memory of what happened in that movie because it's so brilliant. Um, But I was looking online and I was like, right, what am I going to do here? And both myself and Warren really wanted to watch Cell, which is on Amazon Prime. Mm. So it is a movie based on a Stephen Stephen King, um, on a Stephen King. Stephen. Yeah, so a Stephen King novel that was um, the movie was released in 2016, and it is the second movie that John Cusick and Samuel L. Jackson. Um, starring together and the first one being Room 1408. Mm. Um, so there's a few things that actually link into the film 1408 within this movie. So um, the, I'll give you kind of an overall idea of this film before mm-hmm. I go into kind of the trivia. So um, John Cusack plays a, a graphic novelist in this movie. He gets off a flight. He's just been to um, a business meeting and um, he's arrived back home. He's gotten off the flight. He's rung back to his um, his ex-wife, his estranged wife. And um, he's speaking to his son on the phone and his phone cuts off and his phone dies. Um, and he's saying that actually his his meeting went really well. So it, it's 
novel has been picked up or whatever. So uh, there's great cause for celebration. Mm-hmm. Um, his phone dies, so he puts it in his pocket. No use to him there. And he starts to notice, he's kind of walking around. He starts to notice that um, there's a few things going wrong. Yeah, his phone has just died. Um, so he starts to notice that people around him are like starting to clutch at their heads and um, people are like falling over and they're foaming at the mouth and stuff. And then like people are going into fits of rage. Like this guy runs out of the bathroom and he just starts like violently beating this girl. And um, her friend picks up the phone and she's like, um, I need to ring my mom. And she rings the mom and she was totally fine. She rings her mom to tell her she's fine. And before she can even get through anything her whole she just goes mad and she starts running at the wall and she like smashes her head against the wall and then she kind of laughing and skipping and I was kind of like there's me um um, so then pretty quickly John Cusick realizes that it's the phones so we don't have to go through this like terribly agonizing thing that happened with the happening until the end that you realize it's <laughs> yeah. actually the fucking trees so you know straight away that it's the phones and it's you know this is what's happening so he straight away turns around to somebody and it's like don't use the phones and they're like what and he's like they all used phones before they went mental so he um he starts to run and these zombie like people again quite similar to i know when you were talking about the parodies in um, the parody episode, you were saying that in Shaun of the Dead, they they didn't mention the word zombie. I don't yeah. know if they talk about these people being zombies in this, but essentially this is a zombie movie. And I'd actually text you going, I think I'm going to do identity because I'm just not a zombie movie person. But I was yeah, like, no, yeah. if you've actually sat down and done the research on this movie, just do it. Um, So he runs and he's running away from these very quick zombies so like they're they're not like 28 days later kind of those rage zombies yeah yes um so they're he's running away um he runs down a load of escalators and the one thing i like when i was younger confession corner um (laughs) i used to be terrified of going down escalators like to the point that it would it would take me quite a while if there was a queue behind me I'd have to let the whole queue go in front of me I couldn't hold any bags while I was going down an escalator yeah um and thankfully I've kind of pretty much gotten over it the only time that it might be any different is like if you're in like you know the way like in London like the tube like those escalators are massive in in Europe as well and like in Rome I've seen before they're just they they go down for so long they're like other places than Ireland they're fond of a long escalator and I'm not so like that and our temperate climate that leads us not to have many like earthquakes and like stuff like that that's why I'm staying put um and mainly like mode like our neutrality and a lot of stuff as well Um, (laughs) so 
yeah, he he runs down this escalator. It's off, thank God. But he falls. <laughs> and he falls into like a pit of these zombies. But they're all kind of like on the floor, kind of like, mm, like flailing away like a fish out of water. And he, he manages mm-hmm. to get out. And somebody comes over and is about to hit him with like a fucking axe. But they're like, no, he's he's okay. He's okay. And they get into this um train. So they're in the train and there's no cell service down there. So this is kind of the first indication that almost that these people are reacting to cell service now, uh, to cell towers and stuff like that. So because they were basically ineffective while in a no cell service area. And um, he goes into this train and straight away he becomes the person who is going to take over and he's like who's the person who's driving this train and sure is Samuel L. Jackson is and they become firm fast friends and um they decide that they're going to leave because really nothing's like all everything's shut down so the train can't move and um Samuel L. Jackson is like look I have the maps for the tunnels like we're either going to stay here and die or we're going to try and get away and die you know yeah probably going to end in death or we get away so um they decide along with another guy that they're going to start walking and unfortunately quite quickly the other guy gets killed (laughs) (laughs) and they make it back to John Cusick's apartment um, then the girl from his, the apartment upstairs arrives down. She has blood all over her. Um, she's played by Isabel Furman. She played the young child slash adult in The Orphan. Oh, right. Yeah. So she's now become part of their gang. So they're a trio. And it turns out she just killed her mum because her mum had um, used the phone. Um and yeah they start this quest they need to obviously get somewhere that they can be safe and they need to uh, find John Cusick's family he wants to see if his child and his um, ex-wife are safe and well when they go into the house you can see that um, you can see some of his graphic novels and his drawings on the wall um so later on they meet more people they realize that it is to do with the cell towers then randomly they actually realize that the kind of main villain of this whole thing is something that came out of John Cusick's graphic novel now I got a bit lost and I was like what where did this come from so obviously I wasn't paying enough attention I got completely lost and have no idea how this came about and it wasn't even resolved but he started to like he started to come into everybody's dream everybody was um dreaming about the same guy and they realized that actually he's from one of the graphic novels that um he's after drawing and they asked the question well how does it end and he's like I haven't finished that graphic novel so it's a bit of the whole goosebumps thing with uh, Jack Black you know he's drawing he's writing the stuff and he needs to write an ending for this whole goosebumps thing to finish so like John Cusick has drawn this guy but sure we don't know what the outcome is yet because he hasn't really realized this whole character and everything so he goes on he ends up at the house the child 
has written in um in fridge magnets dad I've gone to this certain town um mom's one of them uh find me so they go they find him you think that they've gotten away and then I don't know if they have and genuinely that's what I've taken away from the film I I don't know on a cliffhanger I don't know what happened how it happened why it happened will I ever know no probably not but there's some very cool trivia that goes back to different movies if you'd like to know that I would okay so this is actually the 17th film in which John Cusack portrays an author well there you go random but yeah he has that book look about him huh he has a bookish look about him yeah so um yeah he's played many many characters uh from that so when he goes back to when he arrives at the the um his old home the one that he had with his family he sits on his child's bed and he looks at um the wall and there's a painting hanging on the wall and it's the infamous painting which was hung on the wall of the hotel room in 1408 ah yeah um in the opening scene at the airport you hear that there's a there's a flight called and it's flight 1408 to los angeles um we already said that the two guys are in 1408 together as well um as well there's a gate change as well in the film to a6 and a6 is actually a lethal virus strain from another of stephen king's novels the strand all right yes so in the airport scene there is um the director of this movie he also directed paranormal activity 2 and i don't know if you remember um you know the way with paranormal activity one it really only happened during the night and paranormal activity two they kind of broke that because it started to happen during the day and the camera would watch the pool cleaner and at one stage the pool cleaner ends up kind of moving into the pool so like Ah. it's it's real tension building (laughs) thing where you're literally just watching this pool cleaner but during a scene in the um in the airport a businessman on the phone mentions that his pool cleaner has gone rogue which is an in-joke about paranormal activity too that the director put in <laughs> which I thought was kind of cool I was like I like that they were kind of poking fun at themselves with that yeah no, that's brilliant so that was my that was my John Cusack movie. I feel like as if it was it was good to look into. I understand now the whole the John Cusack fight. Uh, <laughs> I see it now. I'm glad. I'm glad. And um, yeah. Uh, so what are we talking about next week then, Grace? Yeah. So join us next week when we are really getting into the Christmas spirit, and we're going to talk about Christmas horror movies. Horror movies that are uh, based on around the time of Christmas that have a Christmas theme there are a few Christmas horror films I've waited to watch until now so yes. I can um actually be able to talk about them because I'm like I won't watch Christmas movies until it's near the time um but there are there are a few I know we were talking about Krampus when we were talking about yes. the, um, the myths 
but there's actually a film on Netflix I've been waiting up to watch and it's called Krampus and I think even William Shatner's in it Tony um, Collette's in it yeah yeah I've been waiting so I'm gonna watch it in preparation for this episode do yeah but there's also like a few other horror films there's one um I can't remember the name of it it's like a, a Scandinavian horror film where they basically kidnap Santa because Santa is just like the bad guy for that town he's like a Ooh. killer so um, I can't remember what it's called, but I must try and see if I can like look it up. Uh, it's meant to be, it's a dark comedy. Like, so it's when I watched years ago in college, um, my, myself and my friends in college, we watched a lot of bad horror um, and it was called Silent Night, Deadly Night. Oh, I've, oh I heard that that's meant to be great. <laughs> Fab. It's yeah. just brilliant. And I must say, I haven't seen it but I'm going to track it down and I'm going to watch That's the it. One where it's the Santa with an ax about to go down a chimney, isn't it? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I've seen yeah. that one, but the one that I am definitely going to track down to watch for this. And <laughs> I'm kind of like, I'll fall on the sword, but I know that you'd just be like, I'm not watching it. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> and I kind of really want to watch it, watch it. So it's not me being in any way, kind of being like I'll do it or I'll take one for the team I really want to see Black Xmas oh you do you should do it so that we can find out um, how bad it is yeah 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 totally yeah and I just excited yeah that foreign film that I want to watch is called Rare Exports if anyone wants to watch it as well it's meant to be brilliant okay fab so yeah tune into that make sure to give us a follow on our Instagram on because you're home with an underscore in between each word and again anyone who's listening to us on apple podcasts um be sure to rate and review us if you could spare the time it would really just help bump us up there and uh as i said again anyone else who is a fan of this show and listens to us just tell a friend who yeah. you also think is a bit weird and would like everything to discuss everything about her yes and we will see you next week Absolutely. Take care, guys. Bye. Thanks so much. Bye.